0: Football on off the ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports. Now you're welcome along to the football show. Great to have you with us. So Chamber's League evening is continuing. Dion Fanning is with us here in studio. Thank you very much for coming in. Associate Editor at The Currency. Great to have you with us. Hey, Joe.
1: How's it going? Great, so uh,
0: the latest if you're just tuning in uh, across the various games in Group A Liverpool need a point this evening they're on course for three as things stand away to Ajax 48 minutes on the clock Mo Salah with a very lovely tidy finish after a great ball in from Jordan Henderson outside of Henderson's booting Salah took it kind of quasi on the half alley and just clipped it over the keeper a little bit of spin and that put Liverpool ahead to be fair Ajax have had their fair share of chances hit the post early on probably on top for much of that first half But Liverpool 1-0 up at the start of the second. Napoli already through to the knockout stages. They've been very impressive thus far. They're 2-0 up at home to Rangers. Group B, Atletico Madrid would want to get a move on. They're bottom of the group. They're 2-1 down this evening to Bayer Leverkusen. In Group C, the headline news, I suppose, is that Barcelona... Well, they were always up against it, but they um, were out of the Champions League at the group stages before they even kicked a ball this evening because Inter were 4-0 winners at home to Victoria Pilsen. Uh, Barcelona then had to kick off knowing they were out against Bayern Munich and they are 2-0 down to turn a bad evening worse for Barcelona. In Group D then, Eintracht Frankfurt are 2-1 up against Marseille and Spurs at home, 1-0 down to Sporting Lisbon. So it was Marcus Edwards who grew up about 100 metres from White Hart Lane with the goal for uh, Sporting. 23 years of age. The mini Messi he's been nicknamed. Some of his highlights look spectacular. So He's got a
1: great YouTube package.
0: I would say so. Yeah. Great YouTube package. I haven't seen much of him beyond a YouTube... But then again, who needs to? I mean, isn't that the world we're living in? Uh, but he scored this evening. Good goal. And I should mention as well here at home, First Division playoffs. Longford 10-2. Galway United 2. That's after 63 minutes. And half-time. Treaty United 0. Waterford 2 is where we are, 47 minutes on the clock there, second half, has just started. Uh, Liverpool not dominating the game this evening, but just doing what they need to do and getting away with it. And Moment of real quality from Henderson and Salah. Glimpses, YouTube package glimpses.
1: Yeah, the moment of real Darwin Nunes from Darwin Nunes to missing an open goal from six yards, well, hitting the post from six yards. Uh in some ways, the, the kid's got everything because <laughs> there's, there's nothing he can't. He he's just, he seems to have the entire package. You, you might prefer your Erling Haaland who actually executes it all. But there is something to be said for the Darwin Nunes approach to football.
0: As we speak.
1: He scored, you see. As
0: we speak. You couldn't have made that up. He has everything.
1: The kid's got everything.
0: Uh, header again, but looks things corner. And they uh, scored a header, obviously, last week in the Premier League. It's West Ham and he's just uh, run over to celebrate in the corner. We'll see it again in a second. Looked to be um, not dissimilar to his goal during the week, actually. Header at the near post, flicking it into the far post. We'll see it now. Coming in from the left-hand side, in-swinger. It's a good header.
1: Very good header. Good header against West Ham last week and yeah. that's another one.
0: Crowded penalty area and uh, it's kind of going near post-ish and he gets there before everyone and he's under a lot of pressure. This isn't one of those nobody is putting him under uh, some kind of pressure or grabbing him. In fact, he's pointing to his boot as he runs away in celebration because the Ajax player stood on his boot and his boot came off, certainly around the heel area. And so he's saying, look at that. <laughs> Footballers. <laughs> pointing at his heel. Just <laughs> to let everyone know you thought that goal was good. It's even better. I did it with my boot coming off. <laughs> So 2-0, Liverpool against Ajax. Matt Doherty this evening, age 30. So he was in League One seven, eight years ago now, 2014. And now here he is at 30 in his first ever Champions League start for Spurs. First start by an Irish, Irish outfield player for an English team in the Champions League since? Year or since who? I'll give you bonus points for both.
1: John, is it Dar- Darren Gibson, John O'Shea? Correct on both fronts. Yeah.
0: Well done. Yeah. May 2011, John O'Shea and Darren Gibson started for Manchester United in a Champions League semi final. May 2011.
1: A, yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. Mm.
0: So well done, Matt Doherty. That's not bad for the boy from Swords to lead, set off and make his way in the game and Champions League first start aged uh, 30. So uh, there you go. Plenty going on. Something I want to pick your brain on, because I suspect this is right in your uh, wheelhouse. So, Rocker Gibraltar passed away this week, aged 23, of heart failure. I saw a quote from Paddy Fleming of Coolmore Stud saying he was healthy and great looking right up until the end. The first horse ever to win seven Group 1 races in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, At Stud, he sired 16 Group 1 or Grade 1 winners and, of course, infamously, uh, will forever be linked to... Manchester United, Alex Ferguson, John Magner, JP McManus, and, and ultimately perhaps the Glazers. So uh, there have been a few pieces reflecting on Rocket Gibraltar and his unexpected part in.
1: The first line of his obituary. I know. <laughs> That's what it is, isn't it? Everything, yeah. you know, you do, you do all that in life, and then the first line of your victory is the horse that led Manchester United to being owned by the Glazers.
0: It is, even from this remove, extraordinary set of circumstances around this horse.
1: It's incredible because it taps into so much of the story of Manchester United, the story of Alex Ferguson. That sense he always had that he was being undervalued. That even at the, And if you read his first autobiography, there's a lot of that. People like George Graham talking, telling him what he's getting paid at Arsenal. Ferguson feeling that the club is undervaluing him. And then these white knights come along, Magnar and McManus, who, first of all, he gets interested in horses. He looks for something, uh, a, a pastime. Then, almost I, almost simultaneously, a friendship develops with them and then the Rock of Gibraltar relationship develops and at the same time, they start buying shares mm. in Manchester United. So there is this this. Um, golden Prospect, briefly, that this horse that he owns half of, supposedly, supposedly, uh, incorrectly, he believes, yeah. or it turns out that he believes incorrectly, yeah. um, that he will own this horse, which will bring him tens of millions in in stud rights, whilst his friends will become the owners of Manchester United and everything, the, the insecurities of people of Ferguson's generation in football will be kind of removed on, on two fronts. Mm. And that's how it seemed. And like reading reading stuff this week and going back over stuff, like I was reading a piece by David Walsh on the day he uh, Rocker Gibraltar won the 2000 guineas. And it was just this, Golden and and I remember it was just this golden picture of just this happiness everywhere. Ferguson. It was the day of the FA Cup final. Chelsea were playing Arsenal. I remember being it was at Cardiff and I was at that game, mm. and this news came through that Rock of Gibraltar had won the two thousand guineas. I think it was the two thousand guineas, and um, and it was it was big. It kind of it was big news. It was like Ferguson's horse has won the guineas. And this seemed to be he was he was elevating. It was like this was a mere the mere FA Cup final was taking place. While Ferguson was out there with kings and uh, plowing a new path. I was
0: reminding myself of the timeline earlier on. So it seems Ferguson first met John Magna in 97 at Cheltenham. Yeah. and Again, this is Ferguson where he's on course to lead Manchester United to another league title. And the forays into Europe are approaching the grand culmination of 99. And, and, you know, he's, I suppose, somewhere in the peak of his powers and and still feeling undervalued. He first saw Rocket Gibraltar race in 2001 and then somewhere thereafter, there was some kind of verbal agreement whereby uh, Magner gifted, it seemed, 50 percent of the horse to Ferguson, 50 percent to his wife. Uh, this supposedly included stud fees, although that obviously became a core point of disagreement. Stud fees estimated, by the way, to have been 200 million sterling. Yeah, yeah well, like I think a, his original, money.
1: we'll get to his original legal action against them was for 110 million. Right.
0: And so all this time, as you said, Magnar McManus buying more of the club, they are around at 23% when Ferguson initiates legal action. They do get up to 28.7% at the time the Glazers uh, come And I suppose where it starts getting incredibly messy is when the legal action is is about to happen and then happening. And uh, Magner um, puts forward 99 questions to the board infamously. Mm. And these questions include questions around the transfer dealings of 13 different players, including Ronaldo and Stam and Tim Howard. Ferguson's son, Jason, is famously questioned on the back of this. The BBC documentary is around that time, which marks the start of uh, Ferguson's boycotting the BBC, which really went on right until the very bitter end. And uh, ultimately, I suppose, Ferguson learns a painful lesson that the billionaire has good lawyers too,
1: (laughs) better lawyers and maybe a better case. And it always seemed like a case that he wasn't going to win. I remember covering it at the time, and it didn't seem like this is there. There's much of it. There is. There's a chance he's going to win this, and yeah. it's. It's, and it, it's. Again, when we when you lay it out in terms of like this guy, you know, this football man from a certain of a certain era, thinking he had now now had it made. The real the way he realized that. Actually, he was again like Roy Keane put it. Now, obviously, Keane had fallen out when I say, but Keane called him a mascot, yeah, in his autobiography.
0: I he, saw the quote written with a touch of uh, glee, yeah, he was just a mascot for them, yeah, out in the second half. Roy Keane walking around with Rocket Gibraltar, look at me, look how big I am, and he didn't even own the bloody thing. End <laughs> quote. It's what Roy Keane <laughs> said of it.
1: <him>. But Ferguson, <laughs> the, the way Ferguson supposedly found out that he didn't own the thing was when he called. To establish, you know, how would he, he wanted to set up a trust fund for the uh, stud fees. Right. And there was what of a long silence mm. and it was put to him that this was not. Uh, yeah. But but at the same time, every bit of reporting, if you go back and you read the, the stuff from the time, every bit of reporting reported that he owned yeah. half of the horse. now. They would say that there was an arrangement around uh, around what that meant that Ferguson understood, mm. but you know, I there was a quote from Ferguson in two thousand and two, um, when when Rock of Gibraltar retired, and he said, as a relative newcomer into ownership, I cannot adequately express 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 the pleasure I derive from association with such a great horse. I owe an eternal debt to everyone associated with Bally Doyle. While I will be saddened not to see him on the race course, I have every confidence he will transmit his amazing talent and courage to his offspring. He must
0: wince at that. A man as proud as him, not used to losing, he must wince at that.
1: Uh, but that's it. Uh, that's what he did to his offspring, which I will. Uh, yes, every one of which. will oh,
0: gleefully welcome. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Um. So he did feel like he 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 went in there, and and Keen at the time was was wary of it. And was said to be wary of it. And in his book, he said somebody told him that uh, he was going to lose. You know, Ferguson was not going to win that case. But even before that, I think there was a story of Ke uh, Ferguson introducing Keane to Magna and McManus before the Champions League semi-final against Bayer Leverkusen, and, and Keane was kind of distant with them. Right. And well, what well, for whatever reason, like Keane didn't that horse racing thing didn't. Uh, There was a story in Keen's first book where Ferguson, he never bet and he had a bet on, I think it was a football match, but he had a bet through Ladbrokes and Ferguson's great friend was Mike Dillon, who was the big PR guy at Ladbrokes, who mentioned to Ferguson that Keenan had a bet on the, I think it was the 2000 Mm. European Championship final and Keen <coughs> Keane Ferguson said you don't want to be getting involved in that game son mm. and Keane's response was not with Ladbrooks anyway
0: <laughs> yeah because uh, there was one account I read whereby so the ownership and again there are competing stories here but the the ownership was very much ceremonial and part of it was that there was a certain event that you speak at if your horse wins the
1: Jim crack uh, I think I say the Jim yeah. crack dinner or, or lecture
0: and so Magner not a natural raconteur with a natural um, thirst to, to speak, said, so, well, I'll give you someone who can hold the room. And, yeah. you know, almost that was part of the motivation for almost ceremonial, ceremonially saying, well, Ferguson is the owner and therefore that allowed him to speak on his behalf. That was one of the, I think, motivations for, for handing ownership.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, well, there was definitely, and it gave this huge boost, as I said, like this, you know, while it seemed like Ferguson was kind of getting in this, developing this whole new revenue stream. It also gave a profile to the horses and to racing that was entirely different, Mm. and the coverage that was entirely different. And Ferguson was there, to all intents and purposes, like the owner leading the horse in I think that piece from the, that day it was you know everyone was kind of it mentioned something everyone seemed to be sitting Aidan O'Brien everybody seemed to be hanging back like this is Alex Ferguson's day right because um, so,
0: I, I don't remember it terribly well actually that yeah day. yeah
1: so it was that's how it was assumed mm. but then when it became clear that the the views on on what it was were very different the pursuit of that court case, then there were the, 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 the company they'd set up to buy shares, cubic expressions, then put in 99 questions, as you said, about mm. Manchester United. And then it foreshadowed what was going to happen with the Glazers in the sense that the fans started protesting. Mm. Ferguson had to appeal to them not to disrupt Cheltenham. Mm. It became very, very, very messy.
0: Yeah, tense time at the club. Ultimately, the reporting is that Ferguson accepted an out-of-court settlement and he was offered you can take a one-off payment of £2.5 million, or you can take four stud nominations a year and he opted to take the £2.5 million. So that was that. The interesting um, question, I suppose, is to what extent this precipitated or motivated Magner and McManus' exit at Manchester United with 28.7%. If the Glazers came along with the offer anyway would they have taken it and taken the profits that came or did they suddenly see Manchester United as a hostile environment and let's just get out of here, it's more hassle that, than that's it's a good
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Would they have, would, would you say they were ever going to be the um, benevolent, the sort of, the the, uh, the kind of, the, the owners who are who are establishing this club almost owning it in trust for Ferguson or owning it as part of a kind of grand project with mm. Ferguson, or were they always the people who understandably see that this is an investment? And if somebody comes along and you can make what did, I think they made 125 million,
0: I saw 70, but that that vicinity, yeah, let's not quibble, yeah,
1: between 50 million. Mm. Um, but if you can maybe they sold, they sold it for 125 million, was it potentially, yeah. Uh, and. I think they—they're more than likely that was always what they would see it as. This yeah, is an investment again. opportunity. Do they want to own the football club? Did they really want to do that? Like the Glazers, clearly had experience in that mm. field, mm. a certain model, yeah. certainly. But they did. Uh, but equally, the fact that it was—it was now an unpleasant place to be, and the protests.
0: Because. They're clearly men who really understand the world of finance and I think it's a fairly uncontroversial thing to say. If they had held on for another 10 years, the profits would have been exponentially bigger. You know, this is the direction football clubs have continued to go in. I mean, if Chelsea has gone for X billion to Todd Bowley, what is Manchester United worth in in 2022? So (coughs) that's why it's a a curious one. And uh, you know, it was also said in in several pieces, and it's, it's hard to know to what extent this is true, but that Ferguson would never speak ill of the Glazers subsequently. And, and one of the reasons perhaps was, well, I don't want it to be somehow landed at me that we lost. You know, that that my yeah. disagreement with Magner and McManus paved the way for the Glazers to come in. And that was one of the reasons he never spoke ill of them. Again, this is speculation from the outside, to be fair. And you don't know, maybe Ferguson did think the Glazers were great owners and he was adamant about that. but.
1: That was certainly Well he had to follow through that. with that. He had to follow through with yeah. that when that happened. He now did. David Gill was opposed to the Glazers coming in and then and then stuck around and became an, an advocate for the Glazers. Mm. So people did um change their mind about them within Manchester United. Mm. But I think there is something in that like he 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 was in a, a weakened position. Because when you say about about Magner and McManus, if they had stuck around, would they have had to get rid of Ferguson? Like would they, have, you know? Like, okay, there was a settlement. Ferguson speaks; he doesn't say much about uh, the issue in his bu- in his second book, but he. Um,
0: it he was s- resolved. He was wrote. It
1: was resolved, and then he says we were on good terms. I think he says. Yeah,
0: the matter was closed, and we reached a settlement, agreeing there had been a misunderstanding on both sides.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, is what he wrote at the time. Yeah. No, I, I I guess it's it's probably difficult if you've tried to sue, the owner of the club,
1: for a hundred million.
0: To. Walk back to a great working relationship, but then day to day, how often might they have needed to?
1: Yeah, but, So who knows? But if they had the ambition to own it, I wonder if that's if uh, you if you could have done it like that. Maybe they could have. Maybe they would have just seen it practical. He's the best man for, practically as he's the best man for the job. Yeah. Um, business is business. Yeah. Hmm. But I, I, it's hard to know. But I do think you're. I think you're right. I think the fact that the Glazers had come in on the back of this meant that Ferguson, having been having been. Seen as so vulnerable mm. through that, and it was also a pretty, you know, there, there's they're entering then into a pretty vulnerable period in in Manchester United in in his time at Manchester United. Reno's arrival, Reno's arrival, exit from the Champions League 2000 and in the group stage, I think in 2005. Keane's departure. Keane's departure. There's a lot of upheaval there. Mm. There was an awful lot, and it, it, you know, and what predated that, of course, was that Ferguson had only just decided to not retire. Mm. He was retiring and changed his mind in uh, Christmas two thousand and one. That was when he, you know, sven Gordon Eriksson was going to take over. Yeah. So that's you, F. T. Yorkie. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it was it, incredible. amount went on actually in that period. Yeah. yeah.
1: So he had a he had a team he had to rebuild, a, a few years with arsenal but they won a title in 2003 then chelsea came along um arsenal had a couple of titles and was it three, yeah four or five four yeah three years without a title and then mm. and he's rebuilding that but also there's a lot of there was a lot of anger there's a lot of hostility from manchester united supporters mm. towards the team at that stage oh yeah so that was a that was a big issue as well. well so.
0: it was the, the same year Keane left, they didn't get out of the yeah. group stages, and he was booed that evening, famously against Villarreal. Right. I was yeah. booed. he yeah. was there, and I remember him glaring at the Stratford End, being booed. Alex Ferguson, yeah, like, it's yeah. unthinkable. Yeah. Uh, so it's amazing. Well, Rocket Gibraltar, twenty-three, passed away this week. So um, he never knew the hassle. <laughs> he didn't. He, he had a great, great life the, and he brought thing.
1: joy to everyone.
0: Yeah. So, um, just to update you on Champions League latest again, Liverpool now have kicked into overdrive. They're 3-0 up against Ajax all of a sudden. Mo Salah with the first, as we mentioned. Nunes with the second, uh, that header from the corner. And now Harvey Elliott in on the act as well. Mo Salah with the assist, Harvey Elliott with the goal for Liverpool. So, that is them safely through to the knockout stages. Elsewhere, Bayern Munich still 2-0 up away to Barcelona. And Spurs are still 1-0 down at home to uh, Sporting. We will take a very short break. More to discuss in just a moment. Our football coverage brought to you by Sky. Watch all the football you love in one place, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky. Back in one sec the red 78 the most important thing was the intensity and the mentality to go after the game as a coach why did he only give away nine penalties this week available every wednesday don't miss a moment of action
1: subscribe to the rugby channel on the otb sports app and turn on your notifications now
0: football on off the ball with Sky all the football you love in one place across Sky Sports BT Sport and Premier Sports You're very welcome back Dion Fanning is with us Associate Editor at The Currency Champions League evening progressing as mentioned just before the break there Liverpool 3-0 up now away to Ajax 74 minutes on the clock Spurs still 1-0 down at home to Sporting Lisbon Uh, One of the stories which has uh, just popped up today maybe a notable sign of things to come perhaps as the World Cup really comes into view now. I know you're a fan of the Tories <laughs> and you feel they've had some bad press of late, but even you might concede this isn't great. Um, so, British Foreign Secretary James cleverly it's hard to keep track of them all. I mean, God help anyone. He's, been
1: in, he's uh, gone through two Prime Ministers now, so he's, uh, right. he must be one of the real talents.
0: Okay. Uh, so... Uh, you might have seen over the last couple of days that uh, veteran uh, campaigner Peter Tatchell was in Qatar. He was staging uh, what seems to be the very first ever LGBT protest in the country to highlight its human rights abuses in the run up to the World Cup. And he was interrogated for 50 odd minutes and uh, released. And he's been doing the rounds in the media talking about his experience. And so this has become a topic of conversation for politicians in the UK as well. So James cleverly is the British Foreign Secretary, falls under his remit and His response was he's urged fans to show uh, respect the culture to respect the culture of your host nation is what he said, Uh, to show a little bit of flex and compromise and compromise. So he's asking fans to compromise, to respect the culture of the host nation. Uh, He said uh, one of the things I would say for football fans is please do be respectful of the host nation. They're trying to ensure that people can be themselves and enjoy the football. And I think with a little bit of flex and compromise at both ends. It can be a safe, secure and exciting World Cup. These are Muslim countries. they have very different cultural starting points for us. I think it's important when you're a visitor to a country that you respect the culture uh, to your host nation. So he has been very much pounced upon from various sides. For instance, Gary Lineker uh, quote tweeted this interview on Twitter and he uh, surmised it as being whatever you do, don't do anything gay. Is that the message? Question mark. And so um, I think Cleverly is is scrambling, somewhat, and uh, well, running for cover a touch.
1: Yeah, it's it's appalling, and it's, um, and I think he's been actually. I think uh, he's been kind of uh, censured by, by by Number Ten Downing Street. I think the Prime Minister's Office might have had something to say about what he said. Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure on that. But I think he has been, but I do think I'd say. He is what he is thinking in his head when he does that. Like, I when you, when you, I was just looking up here, just wanted to check the uh details on it. And I was just looking from tw- May 2022. And obviously, when it says, uh, there's a headline from the UK government website PM hails 10 billion Qatari vote of confidence in the UK. Now, PM, we have to go back a, a number of May. prime ministers to May, Boris, I think it was Boris then. Uh, and you know the fact uh, Qatar is a major energy supplier for the UK, providing forty percent of our liquefied natural gla- gas. Say no more. I think in James Cleverley's head, the brain freeze starts. That the, and he's first of all he's just saying the platitudes that people say when they when they talk about these things, mm. and he's just trotting out um, what he considers to be harmless cliches, even though in this instance they're anything but mm. uh, and at the same time in the back of his head is we have a strategic partnership with the Qataris and I mustn't say anything that jeopardizes that even if it is as offensive as what I'm going to what I'm now going to say and mm. um, so I, I think whatever stances people are taking that context comes into it from the point of view of Certain politicians. Although I see Keir Starmer, the UK Labour leader, said he won't go to the World Cup. I, I. I. don't. I wrote about this recently in the currency, saying that I think the time. This. This is all pointless, almost at this stage. The time to it's actually take yeah. a stand. We we let Russia through. Everyone 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 watched Russia we were now we may feel that we know a lot more now than we know then, but yeah. we but we watched Russia without did anyone bring up anything really did anyone feel did, you know' this four years after uh crimea Crimea and I don't think anybody made any point except what a great country Russia was, which there's obviously a truth to that too because it's not Putin mm. Russia isn't Putin, but at the same time we let that through we we let it like th- th- there were moments between from when the world cups were awarded to Russia and Qatar and that ex- on that extraordinary day that really extraordinary day mm. when two world cups got given to these two countries there were moments since then when there was opportunities to say right this what what went on then yes what what happened how did this happen and we can and i'm amazed in some ways and maybe there are reasons for this as well because of uh, <laughs> to do with like things tangential to the idea of what governments want from strategic relationships with places like Qatar. But I'm amazed that other countries that lost out mm. never felt they had a case. Mm. Or was it that they, FIFA felt, A, we can ride, either we can just ride ride, you know, get through this. Or that the case Qatar could take when nothing was actually ever proven against Qatar uh, would be too strong to actually do anything about, it, or did they just not care? Because those were the times to do it. Yeah. Maybe it will build to such a such a peak at during the World Cup, but I don't know. I think when the when the when the circus starts, everyone will just focus on that.
0: Yeah, I suspect you're right. I suppose some people have come around to the idea of Qatar. In fairness, an ashen face David Beckham on that day has now seen that there is yes, much to yeah, yeah. offer uh, in a Qatar World Cup. Yeah, look, uh, on the Keir Starmer point, it, he can certainly be accused of some kind of opportunism this late in the day, for sure. What he said was uh, to LBC, uh, would you attend, for instance, if England uh, were going well or even reached a final? He said, no, I wouldn't. I'd love to, but the human rights record is such that I wouldn't go. And that would be the position of the party at large. Um, so uh, w- I presume they would be saying something similar if they were in power and did have to worry about energy supply. But again, I'd be a cynic in that regard. Who <coughs>
1: yeah, I think he's thinking, well, you know, me not going to a World Cup match isn't really going to make that much of a difference mm. in, the, in, the, in, the, in the long term.
0: I don't think uh, cleverly, I don't think anyone dug down into what does showing compromise mean? What does he expect? Has, uh, he doesn't know the what I mean. But he doesn't know do. what I
1: mean. Like it is that's what I mean. It's just they're Top just the no, he's stuff. just making noises yeah. uh, as they they happen to be very offensive noises. But he is just coming out with the same noises he thinks people should say in these situations.
0: But I can imagine you were um, of the LGBT community and, and were considering going to the tournament with your partner, and you hear this kind of talk.
1: It's appalling. It, it's oh, yeah. Sh- but sh-
0: show a bit of comfort. Just you know yourself. Just. You know what I'm saying, <laughs> just, you know, don't don't just don't want into a, uh, alert anybody. You just show a bit of respect like this kind of talk. And this is the, the great celebration of the game every four years. And it's
1: it's, ing- it's incredibly ransacked. it's incredibly hurtful. Like it, it's mm. apart from like it's, it's 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 apart from everything else. It's just that idea that it is just so hurtful for people to, to hear you know that idea mm. being put forward for a tournament like the World Cup, which is supposedly, like, which is at its best, this great, great celebration. World coming together. Yeah, the world coming together. And anyone who's been to a World Cup at its best Mm. knows that that's what it is. Because it's like, I can think of so many extraordinary moments that were, without without getting all kind of... uh, I'd like to teach the world to sing on it. Like, we're actually genuinely, you felt included. This is amazing. Like, just random, you know that as well, just random, random moments. Like, I can think of the top of my head, just strange moments in, like, a train station in Hanover in Germany at one o'clock in the morning. Mm. All the different, you know, after Ghana had played and you're trying to get back, you know, and all these different people from all around the world are there. And it's just, it's a fantastic, yeah, inclusive thing. I remember, you know, just loads of examples of that kind, that those kind of moments.
0: Yeah, agree totally, agree totally. And it's what it's you, about. When you strip away all the PR guff that goes with it and all the corruption that goes with it. Again, some of my best memories from Brazil are uh, of being in Rio where various nationalities are hanging out in Copacabana Beach and it's very alive in a wonderful way. And most yeah. people are just there to have a good time and yeah. meet new people. And it's a great celebration. Well, so the, the, t- <laughs> to have that transposed over to Qatar, where you've got this guy saying, listen, yeah. you know, compromise.
1: It was, uh, I think it was something. Keith Duggan from the Irish Times who saw uh, in South Africa in 2010, he saw there was all different fans in, in Santon in Johannesburg. Mm. And uh, he saw Kevin Keegan walking by a group of Mexicans. And Kevin Keegan was so just overawed with this carnival atmosphere. He just went, the Mexicans are having a sing-off. <laughs> <laughs> so it is that. That's what it should be. And it's, it's, it's awful. Like... But this is what has happened but this is, this is the point like I think it's appalling that it's it's taking place there people can take and should take whatever action yeah. they feel will help or is appropriate but I my point isn't that the, that those things are, are wrong it's that the, the, the ship has sailed
0: No it has it has it has uh, when I first read that this morning I was thinking of uh, Panty Bliss's great speech about checking yourself. In effect, that's what that's. Yeah. Mean. Check yourself, you know. Yeah. Um, you were speaking to Stephen Kenny recently. I was. What was your big takeaway? You had quite a lot of time with him.
1: Yeah, we had a couple of hours. This was for the Currency Podcast? the Currency Podcast experience.
0: Uh, How was the experience?
1: It was, I haven't spent that much time with him because I haven't been doing, covering football the way I used to. So I haven't been around around him. And uh, I I thought it was I thought it was fascinating. I thought he was he was brilliant at times when he talked about um, what he wants Ireland to be. When he reflected on other areas of his life, it, it was it was really poignant and interesting like he has like what's what he what he the life he's he's lived is is, is quite extraordinary really. The story he told about his birth mother and getting to know his sisters uh, from his birth mother. Uh, Has that
0: come late in his life?
1: That came, know, of, well, he didn't, he never got to know, he, he was trying to find out about her and then he was told, uh, in, in, during that process, he found out that she had, had actually died. And what he told me in the interview was that he actually subsequently discovered that uh, they lived um, in Carrick Macross on the road uh the road from Dublin to Derry and they lived on the Dublin road. And he would have driven by the house every week. Where his birth mother and his sisters were living, he would have driven by that house without knowing they were there, which is a kind of extraordinary thing for anyone t- to realise. Mm. Um, so it has come late and he's got to know his sisters and he talked about that and um, like that was that was, re- you know, human and warm when he talks about the ireland stuff and i know you talked about this at the weekend like people will say he is like he said we'll never take it i'll never i'll never take a backward step i'll never defend with a low block and i did say to him even if it's one match to qualify and he was like no no i won't do it um so yeah i think i think i I've, i found it i found him fascinating he talked about brian kerr as well which is obviously the one of the things that got people's attention because there's clearly uh, you know there's been a lot of criticism from Brian Carr about Stephen Kenny which he's entitled to do mm. um, but I think it is it has hurt Stephen Kenny because they did have uh, a friendship and he said that in the interview that they went he went out to Israel I think after well, after Co- after Longford. He went out. He went for, for a long for a match. He went out from Cove with with the team. Uh, he went out to Israel with the under nineteen team, and he was always very close to Kerr and supportive of Kerr. Um, and look, these things happen in football. People make their case. They state their opinions, and other people don't like them. But it's clearly something that is that's that's hurt him a little bit. Mm. Uh, so I found him. Yeah, I found him great, I think it's um, it will like the, the test is coming now like the test is, is coming in, 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 in March and you want him to succeed you, you, the, the way, he, and I, I do believe, and it is interesting like I think this idea he had, and I, what I, f- I found interesting preparing for the interview was how often in his life he's been more galvanised by the idea of some kind of vision rather than just the job. So where he's been at his best, um, like going right back to when he was starting off managing like Tala Town, he had this idea that Tala needed a football club. And, you know, there's this huge community, this huge football-loving community that needed a a football club, and Shamrock Rovers came in. On top of that idea, mm. he had it with, when he went to Derry. He was so energised by the history of the club and of the city. And he had it at Dundalk. And he didn't have it to the same extent. Oh, he tried it when he went to Dunfermline. It was, as he said, the one time where he actually thought, this is me on my career path now. My next job from here is somewhere in England. Mm. And he tried to do it. He read Jock Stein. Autobiography, D'Oxley managed unfirmly. Tried to engage it in that way, but it didn't happen for whatever reason. And I think he is galvanised by that. Lots of people would say none of that matters. Just win. Yeah. Um, I think it does matter. I think it does matter with Ireland. I think he's actually done something with Ireland that is actually, and we've been we've been over this time and time again. But I think he's done something important in that people are connected to the side.
0: There's no doubt they are. It's funny you say that because what I do think of his interviews over the years, he's often a man to take a pause and consider his answer, particularly around trickier terrain like Brian Care. Mm. You know, the, the brain is working very fast and he's saying, well, what do I actually want to say here? But when he's at his most fluent and almost speaks fast and bump, yeah. but bump, a bump, bump, bump is when he's talking about the vision he has for the team and why it's heading places. And it's like there's no hesitation there. No. It's fully formed and it, it, out it comes. And I think that speaks volumes as well. And I agree with you. It is important that that vision, it can be dismissed as airy fairy nonsense. Get out, get the result. But I think especially when it's a national team and you're a national team, I think a vision, yeah. a vision is important because we're not going to win every game.
1: No, at least next year and people do forget uh where we where we're coming from as well and i think i think whatever happens i think it will have been a, a period that was worthwhile mm. i i do feel that um people might think differently about it they might think we could have got to Europe. we we should if we don't get to the european championships and again qualifying for the european championships is something you should be doing the way the way it's structured now but Obviously the group is, is, a, is a killer for them.
0: Br- the group is such a killer that finishing third is still a very inconclusive situation. It's not a failure.
1: No, and then there's a possibility of a playoff through Nations League. Uh, yeah. but, but uh, And again, that won't be
0: incredibly easy either. No, it's not, because we've got to win three teams three. from 12 might yeah, go through. So, yeah. again, it could still be at a very, I really hope it's not, but it will be very, potentially very still inconclusive in the year and you'll still have the same Arguments on both sides. I think
1: if he doesn't qualify, that will be. I don't think there'll be any. Any. Uh, I think that'll be it, probably. But I. I think what he talks about, and if you you do want him to succeed, but as you say, when he's on the, on in that flow, when mm-hmm. he's talking about those things, yeah. and he and he doesn't hesitate. No,
0: and it's at odds with his often his, his demeanor generally, where he considers things and he's, yeah. he's working it in real time. That stuff's all fully formed. Yeah. The, the other stuff's all fully formed. Um, we'll run you through how Champions League's games are uh, shaping up. Atletico have come back to go 2-2 at Leverkusen, for instance, that's just popped up on my screen, but I'll run you through all the scores in just one second. The football show brought to you by Sky. You can watch all the football you love, including the biggest Premier League games every weekend live on Sky. Back in one second. Now you're welcome Max. So we are just watching events at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where Harry Kane has put the ball into the Lisbon net to make it 2-1 and VAR is just having a look... And the referee is stood waiting for word from VAR while the other players nuzzle their noses into each other and uh, posture a touch. I'm not sure what they're checking. Is it the Canes offside or that there was a foul? But at the moment, it's Spurs 2-1, but that goal could be chalked off any second. Elsewhere, while we're waiting for that decision, Elsewhere, it's been a very good night for Liverpool you would have to say on the balance of things because they were away at Ajax they needed a point and they've come away with three points they were 3-0 winners Salah opened the scoring Nunes with a good header and then Harvey Elliott scored a third for Liverpool Napoli their great form continues 3-0 winners against Rangers in uh, Group B Atletico Madrid 2 Bayer Leverkusen 2 is the latest there into the 95th minute Barcelona out of the Champions League at the group stages for a second year in a row and what's more, beaten 3-0 by Bayern Munich. So just a demoralizing evening for Barcelona. Sadio Mane amongst the goal scorers there for Bayern Munich. The reason Barcelona are out is that Inter were 4-0 winners earlier on. And then in Group D, which we're looking at now, uh, Frankfurt 2-1 winners against Marseille. And as things stand, Spurs are 2-1 up against Sporting, but referee is still waiting. As for the action here at home, first division promotion playoff, Longford Town 2, Galway United 2 is a full-time result. Whereas Waterford are 3-1 up away to Treaty in the 94th minute. And that game is still on as we speak. Dean, I don't know why people don't like VAR. This is efficient. It's quick. It's, and, uh, yeah, here you know, go. here we go. He's
1: making the signal.
0: Oh, it's been disallowed. I think. It has, yeah. Yeah. Has. OK. Harry Kane not happy. And it's been disallowed. So it's going to be Antonio 1-0. Show
1: Antonio Conte. Show how unhappy he is.
0: Yeah. No go.
1: Yep, yeah, there he is. Pretty unhappy.
0: Okay. Oh, he's just been sent off. <laughs> the inevitable has happened. Antonio <laughs> we'll well Conte's sent off. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, what's they doing? He's being sent off. Uh, we're pretty much done. Thank you very much for coming in. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Joe. Uh, OTBAM. Uh, coming at you tomorrow morning Ger Shane are on Paddy Agnew will be uh, giving his version of You Had To Be There Michael Verney will be talking GEA and more besides and then tomorrow evening Nathan in the hot seat John Giles will be along Ron Nogara as well and Zach Murady, a Leitrim hurler and a hell of a journey to get there will be in studio as well talking about his new book so that's all on the way tomorrow. Football on off the ball. With Sky. All the football you love in one place. Across Sky
1: Sports, BT Sport, and Premier Sports.